You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Acts 28, please. Hope, hopefully you have your Bibles. Um, it's just fun to go through one book like Acts. We're talking about 30 plus years of church history. I hope you've grown as I've grown. Being the church is a beautiful thing. Being always trumps doing. Uh, doing flows out of being, and that was hopefully our goal Uh, for this series. So we got another large chunk of scripture. We're going to walk through it together. But I want to start by taking you back to one of the great races of history. It was a race that took place between two countries and two men. Uh, The gentleman's name, Scott from Great Britain, and then Admanson from Norwegian. And they are all in, and their objective in 1910 was to be the first man, the first team, to make it to the Antarctic, to plant their country's flag at the South Pole. Now, for the life of me, I have no no idea why they uh, choose to do such a crazy thing. Let's just go to the beach and have fun, right? Windsurfing. But nonetheless, they invested years. They put together a team... And here's the winner. The Odmanson team made it hands down. They did incredibly well. We have a lot of literature on their team, lessons in leadership, and so forth. Scott's team made it 37 days later. They were way behind. The sad thing is the Odmanson team made it home Healthy, happy, they won the race. Sadly, the Scott team did not. They all died heading back. And so as they studied the differences between the two teams, there's one absolute contrast between Odmanson's team and Scott's team. And the word that I want to introduce this morning for wrapping up the book of Acts is focus. The Odmanson team had one goal, one goal only, and they stayed focused on the goal. And that was to be the first team to be to the South Pole. Sadly, Scott's team got distracted. They did a lot of photography. They did a lot of scientific experiments. And they found in so doing, in their multi-focused journey, they lost track, got off track, and they all perished. And so... One of the things that Odmanson's team teaches us is staying focused. And one of the great lessons that I took away many years ago when I read about these two explorers is this. The Odmanson team made a decision, regardless of the weather, whether it was 20 below zero and 40 mile an hour winds, they were going to march 20 miles a day. Whether it was 30 degrees, blue skies, beautiful day, they were going to march 20 miles a day. Every day they went all in 20 miles a day regardless. Today it's called the 20 mile march. And what that means is if we do the right thing today, do our 20 miles, stay focused, we will get there. And so we're wrapping up the book of Acts, and I believe with all my heart the Apostle Paul, because we're going to look at his closing biography today. The Apostle Paul was an absolutely focused man, and like Odmanson, he finished well. And so we come to Acts 28, 
Acts 28, I believe, is a summary, really, of the first 27 chapters in Acts. And we're going to see some big review points that Luke uh, puts for us. But think about Paul's life. 2 Timothy 4, Paul literally wraps up his life in prison, and he writes these words to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing, to all those who finish well. Paul was a guy who was so focused. He knew what the goal was, the prize. He fixed his eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 11 and 12. And as a result, there was a prize laid up for him. And in like manner, each one of us can be like that. We can finish well if we stay focused on Jesus. And so if you have your Connect card, let me share with you the blessing, and then we'll dive into our passage. I believe this, the biography of the Apostle Paul demonstrates the value of a focused life to finish well. And today I want to share with you from Acts 28 four things that were absolutely true through the whole book of Acts that will be highlighted as a summary chapter in uh, this final chapter. And so, focus number one, focus on God's sovereignty. In my humble opinion, I would like to suggest this. If I were uh, an editor and being able to put uh, a Bible together, here's what I would title the book of Acts. The book of God's sovereignty. This is God's sovereign work. This is his plan that he initiates, he enacts, and fulfills. Why do I say that? Can I just go back to go forward today? Think through the book of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus promises before he ascends. You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What will happen? You will be my witnesses. It's a promise. Did that happen through the past 27 chapters of Acts? Folks, it absolutely happened. We're going to Rome, which was the center of the world back then. And then Acts chapter 7 and 8, as hard as it was, remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr, he stoned to death. Saul of Tarsus is holding his, the coats of those who are stoning. He's affirming. He's leading. But what happens in persecution? God sovereignly works. The leaders of the church are scattered, and the gospel is taken to Judea, Samaria, and beyond. You may recall, Philip was one of those guys. The Holy Spirit says, Philip, go to this place, this unique road, this crossroad, southern Israel. Meet this guy from Ethiopia who was just worshiping in Jerusalem. And what happens? The guy's at a chariot from the, uh, the court of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. And he's reading the Bible, the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, a messianic psalm. He says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone tell me? Philip shares the gospel. The guy gets baptized. The gospel goes to Africa. That's God's doing. That's God's sovereignty. He's at work. Then chapter 9 Saul's heading to Damascus to persecute the church. And what happens? Jesus intervenes. Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And he bows his knee to Jesus, becomes a Christian, gets baptized, starts preaching the gospel. Acts 10, Peter has a theological paradigm shift. He's on a roof. Don't call unclean what God has called unclean. Don't call Gentiles unclean people. What happens? Cornelius then. In Caesarea comes to faith in Christ, his family, and his sphere of influence. 
The book of Acts is a record of God's sovereignty. And then we go from Jerusalem to Antioch. And the Holy Spirit says in a prayer meeting, in a worship service, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. And what happens? Missions gets launched. And three missionary journeys to Asia Minor, to Eastern Europe, then to Greece. The gospel's advancing, and it's a quite a remarkable thing. And then what happens? Paul comes back with resources to bless the church in famine. Remember we talked about that? And he's coming with colleagues from the churches that he planted. And he goes to Jerusalem to worship, and they want to kill him. And so as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Rome, he appeals to Caesar, he winds up in Caesarea, he's put in jail for two years, where? In Caesarea, who does he get to preach to? Felix and Festus, two governors, and then King Agrippa, part of the Herod the Great family. This is sovereignty, it looks like a mess. Gosh, you're hated, you're, you're being persecuted, uh, you know, they want you dead, and now you're preaching, so now the voyage takes place. And we've covered that, Acts 26, 27. And what a crazy voyage, right? There's three ships, folks. There's a lot of stormy work going down. And who becomes the captain of the ship? We talked about that last week. It's Paul. He's a prisoner, and he's captaining the ship. And now it's Acts 28. We line, wind up at the island of Malta. And he's going to spend three months there shipwrecked. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see sovereignty? Folks, this is God's work. This is God's hand. And all he does is invite us to become a wonderful part of it. So, Acts 28, stand with me. Get your uh, blood flowing again. I just saw a guy yawn big, a good friend of mine, so I just had to get you standing up. We're, we're together. All right, ready? Acts 28, 1 through 6. Here we go. So we're on Malta. We're still in this voyage. We're heading to Rome. We're shipwrecked. We saw that last week. Once ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, think the sovereignty, for they lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. Look at the details Luke gives. It seems incidental or inconsequential. These details are so impactful. So as Paul gathers a bundle of brushwood, and put it on the fire, a viper, a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. Again, I love the details of Luke. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man is probably a murderer, and though he escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. You know what they're doing? Folks, they're just concluding on their own worldview. The worldview was real simple. You reap what you sow. You sow a bad seed, you reap a bad crop. That's all they're saying. So look at this guy, he's going to die anyways. So what happens? However, he shook off the creature, the snake, off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up and suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, check this out, talk about fickle, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> Have a seat, please. I just, I just love Luke, and here's why. I think this is humor. I think this is comical. It's something you could almost like read in a comic book. Did this really happen? Here's Paul, shipwrecked. What is he doing? He's stoking a fire. He gets bit by a snake. Ah, justice is coming. You're going to reap what you sow. He's going to die. Next thing you know, he doesn't die. Now you're a god. You're being worshipped. Does that sound bizarre to you? 
But that's the narrative. But what's bigger than that, folks, and what is so absolutely inspiring is this is God's hand of sovereignty. God appoints snakes and campfires and shipwrecks, and he corrects world views. And that's the big thing that's going to go on here. Please don't miss this. Paul, Aristarchus from Thessalonica, and Luke, three strong believers, are now going to spend three months on the island of Malta preaching Christ and him crucified. How do we know that? He had favor. We're going to see in the next section how favorable his presence was. This is God using his servant who yielded himself to share Jesus on a continual basis. So, we've talked in the past in Acts 16 about open doors, open hearts. Do you remember that? Think of Malta as another open door, and think of Malta as more open hearts. Chapter 27, he already influenced 276 crew and prisoners for the gospel. Now he's on Malta, small island. You could do the research on how the gospel advanced on Malta, and it did, starting at this point. And he has a captive audience for three months. Only God, the sovereignty of God at work advancing the gospel. Friends, it goes back to Acts 1.8. Like I say, this is a summary. You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and Malta, the ends of the earth, and Rome. You're going to preach to the emperor. Nero, it's coming. This is God's sovereign hand. Talking to my mom last week. I hope you don't mind me talking about my mom, but she is uh, a dear, dear mom, my best friend. So we're talking last week, and she's bouncing off the walls. And she says, Keith, Keith, guess what? She tells the story that uh, her neighbors... Bob and Lori profess faith in Christ. Let me tell you how it happened, folks. And they're preparing to be baptized at her home church. Mom's been a widow for over 20 years. She's 87 years old. She's lived in a mobile home park for 45 years and half the time all alone. There's about 40 mobile homes in the park. I was there as a teenager. And uh, mom's just a present. She's kind of been there 45 years, a long time. She knows everybody and they know mom. But about three years ago, here's what our church did. They began a food pantry. Sound old school? It's old school, good school. Food pantry, and guess what? Every Sunday, a Panera-like bakery gave our home church a bunch of goodies, breads and pastries and this and that for the purpose of? Take that and share with your neighbors, your friends. If it blesses you, take it home. So what mom does is she takes all these goodies, she goes into the trailer court, distributes them to the neighbors. And so what happens to Bob and Lori? They're right across the way. We've met them. We know them. Uh, she just week after week kept distributing from Milgrove Bible Church in the name of the Lord. This has given a cold cup of water. The relationship builds. Guess what happened a number of months ago? Bob got leukemia, diagnosed with cancer. You start to hit rock bottom. You start to ask more serious questions. Who does Bob reach out to right across the way? Mom. They begin dialogue. We visited with them. We gave them a study Bible, uh, encouraged them to consider Christianity. New pastors hired recently. Guess who does home visitation? Pastor stops by, visits. Couple starts coming to the church. They make a profession of faith, getting baptized soon. Mom said this. She was so giddy. She says, guess what? 
Lori might get baptized in the robe that I was baptized in in the Jordan River a few weeks ago. That's sovereignty, folks. That just doesn't happen. This is God orchestrating a kingdom work through a generosity of a bakery, through a gal who's been 45 years in a mobile home court, knows everybody and they know her, who has a heart and cares for people, through a guy who's broken in leukemia, through a pastor who says, yeah, I'll go visit. And next thing you know, the kingdom comes. Can I encourage you? When you think of the book of Acts, think of the book of God's sovereignty. And folks, all you and I have to do, we have the privilege to partner with him. We just have the privilege to show up. We just have the privilege to say, yes, Lord. Is it a cup of cold water? Yes. Is it a loaf of bread? Yes. Whatever it is, let's be a Christ presence to see his sovereign hand, open hearts, open doors, that the kingdom may come. Amen? All right. Focus number two. And again, this is review, so, uh, but it's powerful review. Focus number two, focus on God's service. Would you agree with me when you read the book of Acts, you see a lot of kingdom people, God's people just serving the Lord? Acts 3, what a beautiful passage. Peter and John are heading up to the temple to worship. And there's this guy, he's been begging, he's lame for how long? A long time. They say, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, arise and walk. The man walks. He heads up to the temple mount, and he's dancing, leaping, praising God. Everybody's standing in awe. Why? Jesus is the author of that. That's service. Remember Acts 6? There's challenges in the church, right? There was tension. There was conflict. You had the Hebraic widows, the Hellenistic widows, and one's complaining at the other. Oh, you're playing favorites. They get more goodies than we do. And so what does the apostles do? They raise up seven men full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit to do what? Wait on tables to serve. You know what? That's the first glimpse we have of the ministry known as deacons. How many of you grew up in a church where you had deacons, like servants? Yeah, you get it. The akinos. It comes from Acts 6, but it came out of challenges and tensions. And then you got to love Acts chapter 9. This gal, Tabitha Dorcas, she's blessing widows in her community, and she dies. They call for Peter, believing maybe Peter could help. Peter comes, kneels down and prays. Tabitha's raised from the grave, and guess what happens, folks? In serving, in giving, in blessing, the kingdom of God comes. Now, let's look to our passage, Acts 28, 7 through 10. Follow along with me. Look at the uh, beautiful picture of serving here. Now, in the area around that place was an estate belonging to a leading man of the island, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. See God's sovereign hand? Hospitality, welcoming, leaders of the island. God is sovereignly working. He's accomplishing his will. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And by the way, in the late 1800s, they finally came up with a vaccine to eradicate this disease. They know exactly what was going on back then. Sometimes you would be in bed, fever, dysentery, three to four months. Sometimes it took your life. Paul went to him, praying and laying his hands on him. He healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us. And when we, we sailed... 
They gave us what we needed. I love Luke because he is a detailed guy, and sometimes if you just read the Bible at face value, you see something beautiful. So why do we say focus on God's service? Here's why. I want to give you two portraits that just jump off the pages of chapter 28 but are thematic throughout Luke. And the first portrait is the attitude of a servant. The attitude of a servant. So track with me for a while. This is the Apostle Paul, right? This is the guy who had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's being used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He gets shipwrecked after being the captain of the ship to direct them as to God's way. And what's the first thing you read about in Acts? He's collecting sticks to stoke the fire. Does that seem weird to you? Why would Luke, <laughs> why would Luke bring up or comment or write about such menial or incidental tasks? I believe with all my heart because God's word, God wants us to know there's no menial task in the kingdom of God. I believe that with all my heart. Do you realize sweeping a floor and cleaning a toilet is as sacred as prayer, Bible study, and going on a mission trip? Why? Because whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you can do it to the glory of God. Paul was a servant. He opens his epistles. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Some today would translate doulos, slave. Regardless, he was all in. He was ready to wash feet like Jesus did. And so, friends, the first thing we learn about uh, servanthood here is just the attitude of a servant. What is it? He's humble enough to just pick up sticks and stoke a fire to make it warm to bless people. That's a gift to have that kind of attitude. There's no menial task in the kingdom of God. Do you agree? Why, do you, uh, why would Paul do something like that? Uh, why would he write Philippians chapter 2 uh, about this attitude? In Philippians 2, chapter five, or verse 5 through 11, he says this. Have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? Although he existed in the form of God, Jesus, he did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's beautiful. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, empties himself, becomes a servant, takes up the towel and wash basin, and blesses people. We can follow in that disposition. You know how God views that kind of servant attitude? Therefore, verse 9, chapter 2, God highly exalted Jesus, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The attitude of humility, washing feet, picking up sticks, stoking a fire. I just love it. Secondly, and uh, it's the lifestyle of a servant. You know, Paul already unpacked this, but I want to go back to go forward. Acts chapter 20, let me show it to you. Remember in Ephesus, this is Acts 20, and they wanted to rip them limb from limb. He started a big old riot in the Ephesus theater. There was a lot of commotion, and they just basically rescued him. Let's get out of here before you die. But here's what Paul does. So he's leaving, heading to Jerusalem, uh, going to bless the people with the gift, but he does this. Now from Miletus, he sent to the Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. 
And when they came to him, he said, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord, notice the two attributes, with all humility and with all tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul says, for three years, I tried to just pour my life out. I tried to be a servant. I wanted to have the humble attitude, but I wanted to have a lifestyle of a servant. Why? The greatest among God's people will always be the one who serves. That's Jesus, guys. Pouring our lives out. Can I encourage you this morning, Westwind Church? There's a lot of ministry, a lot of service that takes place at Westwind that nobody knows about. You wonder during the winter when you come and the place is plowed and the sidewalks are clean, there's individuals behind the scenes saying yes to preparing the property for worship. Most of you have no idea who that is. Why? Servant, humbly, taking up the towel and wash basin, no accolades. Then... You look at our property today, right? The grass is mowed, the weeds are whacked, the property is beautified. There's people behind the scenes taking care, gratis saying, we love the Lord, we want to serve his church. That's so cool. We have a gal who comes every other week, cleans our church, details our church, gratis to the glory of God. That's a wow factor, just pouring yourselves out. And by the way, before you leave today, stop in the kitchen. Have you seen the real sink? Who saw the real sink? About three of you. I think we should like adjourn for two minutes and go see the real sink. Because there was, I wanted to show it to you. Maybe some of you aren't aware. We had this like sink, eight by eight, Greg. What was it? Maybe a cup could fit in there. I don't know. And uh, our people said enough. And now we got this sink. Okay? It's like a real sink. What happens? Folks just show up. Hey, we're coming. They get the jigsaw out, they put in the sink, they pull off down the road, and we say, thank you, Lord. Friends, that's the church. That's the Apostle Paul. But it all starts with Jesus, right? He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of man. That's the book of Acts. God's sovereignty, God's service. Let's keep it going. Focus number three, and this is beautiful. Focus on God's support, on God's support. You ready to stand with me? You can stand up. Come on. Tyler's like, I'm not sure. Huh? I was, I was, doing, I was reading the face, the visuals. You were ready to get up? All right. Ready? All right. Verses 11 through 15. Again, we're just going through the narrative, point by point. Focus on God's support. Notice again the details Luke gives. He's remarkable. After three months, so they're on the island of Malta three months, doing ministry, serving people, blessing people, healing people, praying for people, sharing the gospel. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship. This is the third ship, by the way, of this voyage that had wintered on the island with the twin brothers as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit around the coast, we reached Regia. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them. Don't miss this. Seven days. Way to go, Luke. Detail. And so we came to Rome. Now the believers there heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the forum of Appius in the three taverns. When Paul saw them, and this is the key phrase. Don't miss this, folks. This guy's been on a journey. 
I shared with you last week, 1 Corinthians 11, how hard his ministry journey was. Paul meets the believers coming from Rome. He thanked God, and notice the next phrase, took courage. Please be seated. Again, I believe Acts is a summary. We've seen this thing from God to Paul. Paul, have courage. This is hard. Ministry is difficult, but I promise you, you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. Be a man of courage. Joshua, strong and courageous, go in. The question we all have to ask is, folks, where do we get our courage from? Now, I know this for sure with Paul. He had vertical input. God gave Paul courage. And you know what literally the word encouragement means? to give someone courage, to infuse them with courage to press on. And so twice in this passage, Paul's coming from Malta, heading up to Italy. The destination's Rome. He meets believers in Puteoli, against sovereignty, and they hang out for how many days? Don't miss it. Seven days. I believe that refreshed Paul's soul. He saw the gospel advancing. He's meeting believers in Rome. In that area, he's never been there. I think it was just absolutely refreshing, absolutely encouraging. Then he's heading to Rome. That's the destination. He's still a prisoner. You're going to see he's going to be in house arrest for two years preaching Christ. But the believers here, and we know this, they're in Rome and they come down to a destination. They travel approximately 35 miles by foot to meet the Apostle Paul at the designated spot. Now, folks, if you just do the math, that's Adel to downtown Des Moines and back. Would you agree that's dedication? When was the last time you walked from Adel to downtown Des Moines and back just to see a, a believer named Paul? They're all in. And when Paul sees them, here's what happens. He's losing heart. Ministry's difficult. He's a prisoner. He went through shipwreck. I mean, this is tough stuff. And all of a sudden, believers show up and he gains courage. A few weeks ago, I unpacked the word encouragement. You may recall. It's a Greek word, parakaleo. Let me show it to you. It's a beautiful word. It's a compound word in Greek, para, alongside, kaleo, called. Called alongside. It's the word used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, biblically speaking, is a paraclete. He comes alongside to do what? to encourage, to build up, to counsel, to support, to teach, to bless, to help us stay the course and finish well. I believe this with all my heart. Yes, he had vertical support. God was with him. He kept his eyes on Jesus, but never minimize the horizontal support, folks. This is the body of Christ. This is Acts 2. They were devoted to each other, to prayer, to Bible study, to breaking bread, meals, meals in the home, worship in the temple court. They were all in. Many of you here at Westwood know life groups for us is, is a lifeline, right? It's just a very important part of the ministry. Every church should purpose to, to grow big and grow small at the same time. Why? That you have these environments of encouragement. I was reflecting this morning as I prepared for today that, my goodness, there's such a radical difference between the experience we have at Life Group through COVID, which was real erratic, over Zoom, kind of ah, weird. We just couldn't wait back to wait to get back to meeting together face to face, life on life, heart to heart. And then last fall, we started meeting here as our Life Group, and we're really hoping and praying to get into a home. 
And then we had a couple, a family, visit uh, our life group. Remember how Pastor Jason encourages, hey, go check this group out and see where you land? So guess who uh, visited with us? You know the Oddings? Amy and Austin Odding? So here's a bunch of old folks meeting here in a church, and the Oddings show up, and they got a little Ruthie. And we're like, oh, it was sweet to have the Oddings. They'll never land in our group. We're like, too old. And guess what? They said, hey, we think we found our new home. And then, fast forward, they opened up their home to us. We've been meeting the past year in the Oddings home. You know what's cool about that, folks? It brought our average age down a few years. That's really sweet. We, we just like that. You just feel younger. The other cool thing is there's Ruthie. You know who Ruthie is? She's got these beautiful eyes, this beautiful smile. And it's 6 o'clock, and you walk in, there's Ruthie. She's just so happy. And then, if you've been over to the Oddings, who else? Valkyrie. Valkyrie is a wild horse. Wild horse. And typically, he's kind of out on the deck, and you know, we're like, okay, Valkyrie. And when you open the door, our life group knows what happens, right? Protect yourself. Here comes Valkyrie. I mean, you put your armor up. Valkyrie is like our mascot. And then all of a sudden, the Oddings announce they're pregnant. And then this is the only, this is the second time it's happened in my life. I, I didn't grow up with reveal parties. Your generation's weird about these re reveal parties. I'm just saying, okay? Then all of a sudden, we have a reveal party. I come over, hey, Pastor Keith, have a cookie. And I bite into a cookie, and there's a color. I'm like, oh, cute. Well, that's our baby. I'm like, these reveal parties. And by the way, Wrights was the first one over at Dartmoor. But think about that, folks. This is lifeline. We need that support. We need each other face-to-face, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, life-on-life. If I ever get another dog, I'm going to get a Valkyrie. Um, who knows dogs? Do you guys know what, what dog is that? Australian cattle dog. That's why Valkyrie's crazy. Okay. I might. Valkyrie's here. All right, last point. Stand with me. Keep it going. This is a big kahuna, but I want to show you something just to highlight the last point. So we're focusing on God's sovereignty. We're focusing on God's service. We're focusing on God's support. And this is beautiful because this is Acts. What a way to summarize it. We're focusing on God's salvation. Can I show you the first map of Paul's first missionary journey? Remember, guys, there's no vehicles, there's no buses, there's no motorcycles. They don't even have electric bikes. They're walking for the most part. First missionary journey, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, 1,581 miles as best we can discern. Second missionary journey, we're going past Asia Minor to Eastern Europe. Guess how many miles? 3,050 miles. Third missionary journey, we're penetrating Europe, Greece, Corinth, Athens, 3,307 miles for a Grand total, if you add in the Rome trip, and I believe this is the fourth missionary journey, 2,344 miles, grand total, 10,282 miles. Do you think Pastor Keith's weird to put all that stuff up there? He is, but I like that stuff. Here's why. The book of Acts is all about the gospel. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and Paul said, all in. Man, that guy must have had some thighs. I mean, he walks some serious miles. All right? I mean, that's a big deal. And so the passage, you'll see, we close the book of Acts where we began. You will be my witnesses. 
Let's check it out. He gets to Rome. Here we are, verse 16. When we entered Rome, circle that, but jing, we made it to Rome. God's word is fulfilled. Paul was permitted to stay by himself with soldiers who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews, again, tried to bring the gospel to his own people. This has always been his prayer. When they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offense. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, notice what he's saying here. It is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. It is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be brought to the people of God that I am a prisoner right now. Paul connected the dots. Then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers have come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, meaning Christians, we are aware that it was spoken against everywhere. After arranging the day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, morning to evening, we've seen that before with Luke, he expounded and witnessed about what? The kingdom of God. He's a gospel guy. He's all in. This is sovereignty. This is service. He's pouring his heart out to his countrymen. What a beautiful thing. He tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. We've seen that before in Luke. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Remember, that's the pattern. Some say yes. They believe. They get baptized at church's birth. Some say, sorry, can't handle this stuff. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors when he said, now they're going to get offended here, but this goes back to Isaiah the prophet 700 years before. Here's what Isaiah, their own prophet, wrote. Go to these people, meaning Israel, and say, you will listen and not listen, yet never understand. And you will look and look, yet never perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. And then the book of Acts closes, folks, so intentionally. Acts 1.8 to Acts 28. Here's what it says. Then Paul stayed for two years in his own rented house. He welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. Please be seated. We'll tie it all together. Luke is just an amazing, amazing God author. He takes us here from Jerusalem, takes us to the ends of the earth, Rome. You will be my witnesses. The last verses in the book of Acts, Paul's witnessing. Two years at Caesarea, divine appointment, sovereignty, open doors, Acts 16, going to Europe. Here he is in Rome waiting to preach the gospel to Nero. But guess what happened for those two years? The kingdom of God advanced. So can I review a few thoughts and then I'll close out. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. Paul embraced that. 
Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. That's the gospel that's Acts. Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus, he says to the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved, you and your household. But friends, you know what happens in, in, in uh, Rome for two years under house arrest? Not only does he preach to Nero, he gets to tell his story, why he was there. That's what he did with Felix Festus and Agrippa. He had two years of kingdom ministry, but he also, don't miss this, wrote four prison epistles. Four. Our ladies' group just finished off Philippians this past Friday. So they dove into Philippians, finished it off. Let me show you one thing Paul says when he writes the church in Philippi from Rome in this two-year imprisonment. Here's what he said. This is a summary statement. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. This is the elite Roman soldiers of Nero. And to everyone else, that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. I just, I just marvel at God's sovereign work. I marvel at a man like Paul who was so focused. He just fixed his eyes on Jesus and preached Christ and him crucified. Just so you know, Paul did get out of prison. He did do more ministry. Most likely went to Spain, historians believe, and in 67 AD, he was martyred by Nero. So let's close out. Sovereignty. That's the great theme of the book of Acts. Let's call the book of Acts the book of God's sovereignty, right? Serving, serving people humbly as a lifestyle, supporting each other, needing each other to keep this kingdom ministry going. And then in the end, what's the ultimate goal? It's one thing, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Close out with this story. So a few weeks ago, we're in Israel, and Ellen and I went a few days earlier to get everything set up, but we also wanted to do a few uh, trainings in Jerusalem to learn more about the city of David. There's a lot of archaeology going on there. And so we took a couple seminars. We had a grand time the first two days, but something uh, ached our hearts after the first two days. We met a lot of yeshiva students. These are 18, 19-year-olds that come from Europe and the States to Israel to study for one to five years. They're studying Torah. They're studying the five books of Moses. They're studying the Bible. But as we engaged these yeshiva students, and they were very kind, very welcoming, very warm, they knew nothing about Jesus and had no reference to the New Testament. And it just ached in our heart. Then we would do these educational tours. And these are archaeologists. These are historians. They know their context in the Bible. And by the way, guys, Jerusalem has 40 churches in it. A lot of the sites you visit are dominantly New Testament. So we're going through this training. We're hearing the stories. And all of a sudden, they just stopped before the New Testament. They didn't reference Jesus at all. Zero. And Ellen and I are like, gosh, doesn't it just feel horrible? Where's Jesus? I mean, don't these people even know about him? The, the New Testament, Jesus the Messiah? And so sincerely, here's what we did day three. We prayed. We said, God, we're here to see Israel. We want to do this educational tour. Certainly I was with my mom and what a blessing that was. But we wanted to be witnesses, just like God's people were. So we prayed. That day, God did something miraculous. It's Friday now. It's lunchtime. We're just having lunch. We meet a gentleman. His name is Israel. Hmm, interesting name. 
in Israel, Israel. So we talked for about a half hour, and he wants to talk about Jesus the Messiah. And as Christians, that's pretty easy for us. So we broke for lunch because we had to go to a tour, and we had dinner with him that night for two hours, and we shared the gospel, answered a prayer. Then the coolest thing. We're wrapping up our lunch. Israel takes off. And I went into the restaurant just to get a napkin, just clean off our table, you know, wipe down hands and so forth. And there's this film crew in the restaurant. And, you know, they're making some film. And he says, hey, are you a Christian? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, I'm a pastor too. He says, do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? I says, well, matter of fact, I do. Could we interview you for a documentary? I said, well... I think I could do that. And here's what happened, folks, for the next eight to 10 minutes. Started with the Torah, the book of Genesis, chapter 315. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Went again to Genesis 12, the Torah. The seed of Abraham would be a blessed seed and all nations on earth would be blessed. Went to 2 Samuel 7, talked about David the king. We were just at the city of David. That David would be of this royal line and an eternal throne. Then we went to Malachi 5.2. This Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He would suffer. He would come as Messiah bid Joseph, the suffering servant. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And then I declared... And I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We went to Isaiah 61, which is Luke 4. Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your midst, that the Messiah would come. He would set the captive free. He would heal the broken heart. He would do a work in God's people's lives that would be transformational. And the restaurants listening to this, folks, I mean, I was just preaching kind of. And then, uh, then the guy says, all right, one, one thing. Do you realize there's a lot of Jesus Messiahs that just come to Israel and they think they're Jesus Messiahs? I says, yeah, of course I do. Jesus said that would happen, Mark 13 and Matthew 24. And his eyeballs got like really big. What do you mean, Jesus said? Well, Jesus said there would be false prophets. They would act like they're me. And they're not. There's one Messiah. And then I shared with him, you know how I know that's true? You can go to two places just uh, outside the Jewish quarter into the Christian quarter. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher is dedicated for the last 1,700 years to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, that got filmed. I don't know where it'll show up, but we'll see. But here's the point. That's the book of Acts. We're always to be on mission, to be his witnesses. And friends, whether you're traveling this week, you're going camping, you're going to the beach, whatever you do, work, it just doesn't matter. Be that light. That is acts. God sovereignly orchestrates to open doors, to open hearts, to see his kingdom come. Let's stand. I'll pray and Amy will come back and we'll sing a song. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. It's transformed our lives. You've built your church on it. We thank you for Jesus Christ giving his life a ransom for many. Hallelujah. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, you would rebirth or birth for the first time Acts 1-8 in our heart. That we have the privilege to be witnesses for you where? Wherever we are in our neighborhood, 
at work, our family, our extended family, to be that neighbor, to be so focused on your sovereign hand that we're ready to tell your story, your gospel. Would you help us, Lord? We want to be like Paul. We want to be like the early church. And so we commit ourselves together this morning to that end. In Jesus' name we pray.